Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about creating leverage. This is a, this is a fun idea. I think um, I, I especially like this idea because it has uh, implications for ditching hourly billing and not trading time for money and changing the way that you uh, take your big idea and can actually price it instead of just billing for your time. Well, and you can spread it out. You can serve more people. Yeah, absolutely. Much. Yeah. You can have a, a, you can scale. It's a way to scale without hiring people. That's another thing that I love about it. Create Mm -hmm. a larger impact, increase your revenue without necessarily a commensurate increase of labor. Very nice. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before the show and you mentioned Rochelle that, uh, it, big consulting school. <laughs> this was this is sort of a one-on-one topic. I would, do you could you share that? I'm curious, having never been inside of a big consulting firm, what the what the the sort of gold standard is there. Oh well, the rule is you should never do anything that somebody else can do faster or cheaper than you. So, uh, and, and in some firms like Anderson, there was a very conscious effort to make sure that you're training the people coming up behind you so that you keep doing higher level work and you keep pushing the work down to somebody else. So they're learning, they're growing, but the client's also saving money because somebody cheaper is doing the work. Oh, wild. So a culture of delegation, basically. That, well, that was the idea. Now, remember, I grew up in consulting quite a while ago, and it, it wasn't where you took somebody out of school who didn't know what they were doing yet and mm-hmm. kind of threw them to the wolves. It was more of a process of teaching them what they didn't know yet, whether it was sometimes it was technical skills. A lot of times it was consulting skills. You know, how do you present this difficult idea to a client? How do you um, get them to say, kind of get them to yes on something? How do you um, have difficult conversations? You know, all of those things. And so you would actually, in some firms, you'd get dinged if you were doing too much that somebody else could do. Because the way you would grow is by growing your book of business and you grow that your book of business by getting new clients and bringing more people into your clients, more people to do more work. <laughs> I've certainly seen the result of that success. <laughs> that that definitely works. Um, okay, so I think I think our listeners um, probably are not building an organization that looks like that, right? Um, but that but that does uh, that tracks with the idea, which is sort of you know how do you increase your impact with decreasing your labor, you know, or or at least decreasing your costs, whatever you want to, however you want to look mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. And for me, in the in the soloist world, uh, you know, independent software developers, maybe small firms and that sort of thing, but I'm always looking for a way to disconnect their time from money because virtually everybody in that space is is you know selling their time by their hour, billing in arrears mm-hmm. for how much, how many, how long it took them to engage in activities on the client's behalf, and this is such a bad thing for everyone because. It ironically, it, it it penalizes efficiency. So if you're good at something, right. the better you get at something, uh, the less you get paid for it. And sure, you can raise your hourly rate, but usually people's uh, people's curve of increasing mastery goes a lot faster than they can increase their hourly rate 
because the hourly rate bumps up against a weird psychological ceiling around 200 bucks an hour. And right. yeah, so people start, clients just be like, 200 bucks an hour, 300 bucks an hour, are you crazy? And, mm-hmm. you know, so unless you're extremely, an extremely rare individual, uh, it's, it, you're not going to be able to command those kinds of hourly rates. And if you are that extremely rare individual, you could just be giving really awesome value prices instead anyway, and not be tracking your time and not, you know, be focusing on the desired outcomes instead of, you know, the inputs, how much time you're spending. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So for people, one of the, one of the things I'm always talking about is, uh, is, is not, is the, what I see is the true definition of growth for a business. I, I see the one and only, well, okay, that's a little much, but I think the primary measure for me, the non-vanity metric for growth is increasing profitability. It's, you know, because you can grow your business, you know, to a hundred million dollars, but if you're spending $200 million every year, you're a hundred million dollars <laughs> in the hole. Yeah. So and I know public companies there, you know, there's startups and there's reason to, you know, be like Amazon sometimes and just have no profit for two decades and, and trying to get network effects. But we're talking about, you know, we're talking about one and two, I'm talking about one and two, maybe three person organizations that are mm-hmm. not trying to capture the entire market. They're trying to capture a small portion of the cream of the crop of their ideal customers. And we need to make a living while we're doing that. Yeah. It's, right. We're not looking for to lose money. Right. Yeah. So I'm not talking about, you know, creating a startup that you're going to flip or sell or something like that or get investment. I'm talking about like doing service work or, you know, doing not necessarily just service, but basically being a service organization of one or two or three and saying, okay, we're getting really good at something. So we usually, uh, uh, I think this, to me, this is kind of like the big idea that we're talking about. Like, They've got a point of view. They've got a big idea. They've got uh, a, a certain area of expertise. They're becoming uh, a go-to person for a particular thing, perhaps WordPress security or something like that. <laughs> um, and what? So what do they do? How do they get past a certain? Because at a certain point, you're going to plateau. You're going to you're going to max out at if you're billing by the hour, you're going to max out around a hundred and forty, hundred fifty thousand dollars per year, unless you're a total maniac uh, and working crazy hours, or you are able to charge, you know, higher hourly rates, 200, 250 per hour. And maybe you'll get up to a quarter million a year in revenue, gross mm-hmm. revenue, but you're working like a dog. And, and, you know, how are you going to, how do you increase your revenue? How do you increase your profits there without adding headcount? That's a big thing for me because I'm, I, I've gone through the management thing. I'm not a fan. Uh, it's it's not for me. So, yeah, I'm definitely a, a solo operator. So, so what do people do when they they have some expertise? They have a big idea, or they have they're a specialist, they're a go to person. They they want to keep on doing the thing they like doing. They don't want to you know be posting jobs and and doing one on ones and settling disputes between employees, you know, they don't want to do any of that. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in that. You know, how do they, how do they level up, take things to the next level for their business? As we say in the show description from six figures to seven without adding 25 bodies. So anyway, that was a very long preamble to, to, uh, why I think leverage is a cool thing. <laughs> We're both pretty punchy today. Very, very low sleep last night in, in TVOA land. 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, are, are we, is our definition still on the same page? Are we both on the same page here? It, we are, we are. And, and you know, I kind of think of it, um, tell me what you think of this. I, I sort of think of it in three buckets and one bucket we're not really going to talk about, which is staffing, yeah. which is using people on some level, whether you hire them or contract, but it, there's the, sort of the pure standalone kinds of content where you, I, I'm thinking of content as almost the same as leverage in this case, where you've got something that you simply sell that doesn't really involve you, like a book mm-hmm. or a standalone training, um, maybe software service, uh, you know, a separate business. And then you've got the ones that are more community-based, where it's maybe a membership site with with the Slack channel or, you know, a Slack like channel, or you're teaching courses um, and you have some things already prepped, but your presence is a big part of it. So that's kind of how I think of it. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I totally agree. You, you listed off a bunch of things that, that I tend to advocate for people. It's different. Different people have different types of expertise, different types of skills, and they can be packaged up more easily one way or another way. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it, it does kind of depend on your area of expertise, but s- certainly a book is uh, is one uh, one obvious approach for many people where you say, you know, I, I've got I've become an expert on this thing. Uh, I'm going to I'm I'm going to write a book about it that will be of interest to my target market and probably provide, you know, probably provide uh, some really strong marketing juice for me, you know, so it's sort of spread, mm-hmm. spread the word that I'm an expert at this thing. A book is a very easily shareable thing. Traditionally, they're, they're extremely inexpensive, you know, bang for buck on a book is through the roof, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of investment. So, you know, it's a lot of work to, to write one, of course, but, you know, if you've got the, if you've got the experience, then it's, it's really just doing the labor part of, of actually writing it. It's, tends not to be for anyway for my students it tends not to be a big research thing because it's based on actual experience like well i i know i know all these stories i know all the things to do i know the 10-step mm-hmm. process i just need to write it down mm-hmm. uh, and go through the editing and you know the the production of the actual thing so you know it's definitely work but to me it's one of the most obvious ways to uh, to leverage your expertise to package it up as a book you can you certainly can make some money uh in my realm, it's usually not New York Times bestseller type money because it's usually software books, but uh, as opposed right. to general business books. But uh, it's certainly an, an income stream and it is huge for authority building, which, you know, is something we talk mm-hmm. about here. So, a real, uh, you know, I would say a really nice thing to do, a really good thing to do if you have the experience and you know what to write, you're not wondering what to write. Uh, a book is a really good way to leverage your expertise. Uh, cool. You also mentioned putting together, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I'm a huge fan of, especially in my space, which are sort of group experiences like uh, workshops or yeah. training. These could be remote. They could be on site. They could be public general admission. They could be private inside of uh, larger organizations. There's all sorts of, uh, all sorts of opportunities there. And, and interestingly, they are, the, the pricing psychology around paying for a workshop or, or a training course is dramatically different than it is for, say, consulting or development or any kind of uh, other kinds of 
production labor. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's fascinating. You know, it, it has its own own upper and lower bounds, but it's some it's a great f- sort of foray into not trading time for money and thinking about you know you can pretty much get you know just this is very general, but you know if you're going to teach a React class to you know React front end software development framework. If you're going to teach, uh, thank you. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. If you're going to teach like a hot technology to a big tech firm, you know, to some department at Google to 40 people, you could get 500 to a thousand dollars a head per day. And if you pack that room, you know, you could be doing, you know, ten thousand dollars. You could make a lot of money. You know, if you if you divide it out by by hours, uh, it would be a very high effective hourly rate. And if it's something that you know you put together once. Now all of a sudden you've got these training materials. Maybe there's a workbook involved. Maybe there are code samples. You know, there's all these sort of artifacts of a training class. Then you can turn around and sell those as a DIY course mm-hmm. that is even less labor. So uh, my good friend Philip Morgan talks about this as looking around your workshop and finding sawdust and packaging that up as as like yet another thing. So uh, yeah, so I'm curious though. I'm I'm like really pulling the conversation into the software space. I'm curious, like in your space where you have, I think, a much more diverse portfolio of clients. What what do what are the obvious like no brainer places where they find leverage? Uh, the obvious one is you know books, yeah. um, and I think you know the the next one is is something around courses, and it can depend, like you said, if somebody's business model. One person's business model might make perfect sense for a membership site, and another one might say, no, 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 I'm not ready to have somebody pinging me every day. I want to do, you know, launched courses that have a begin and an end date. Um, and then the, the other thing that I always encourage people to do, it's it's a little, I never heard of it as the sawdust technique, but it's <laughs> kind of like that, which is you really do an audit or an inventory of all of your content because, you know, you know what you do so well that you can look at something and go, ugh. Like, who would be interested in that? Well, it turns out they would. And and sure, you can package those things up as freebie downloads on your website, but you also might be able to package them up to sell. Mm. And, you know, and, and let's say that you write a book and in the, por- in the process of that, there's a bunch of stuff that you delete from it because it just doesn't contribute to where you're going with the book. Those might be things you could create and sell. It's a course, it's a companion course, it's a workbook. It's it, for for my clients it's really mostly about content. I mean the whole software service doesn't really hit my my client base. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're looking at how can I take what this is and put it in a new form. Mhm. And I just want to tack an idea onto that. It's not uh, converting existing content into new form. I sometimes very rarely have gotten in yelled at by people who are like, oh, this is the same as the webinars, you know, where I'd create a print mm-hmm. version of something. And and that does happen. And, and dear listener, I immediately refund the person and never talk to them again. <laughs> 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 just like, fine, <laughs> refund, goodbye. Uh, because it's just not worth it. But, but so here's the thing that is extremely rare. It's extremely rare. People, some people love learning in a video format. Some people love learning in an audio format. Some people love learning with text there. Everybody has different ways that they like to take information in. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Rochelle, you're, you 
are probably so bored of your own content and it seems so repetitive and, and almost tedious or obvious, like, oh, this is so obvious, then it, it it's just not like the, the idea of, uh, the idea of having the knowledge is very different than the idea of being able to communicate it to someone in a meaningful way that is going to inspire action on their part. And you, you really, in my experience, you have to come at it from a hundred different angles for, you know, almost a different angle per person. It, it's almost that granular. So it would be hard to, to, I, I feel like it would be hard to burn an audience out by repackaging, um, different, different levels of specificity about a, a topic. You know, you could go mm-hmm. super down the rabbit hole in, in, uh, in one, let's say, uh, in a podcast episode or in an audio book or something like that, some sort of audio format. Or, um, you could be more persuasive in that format, or you could, you know, in, in a text format, you could take the same basic idea, but make it much more analytical and, and, um, uh, what's the word, um, sort of methodical, you know, and mm-hmm. less, less, less kind of evangelical, more methodical and, um, uh, specific, easier to, easier to highlight, easier to share with, you know, individual, uh, passages with people. I mean, these different formats, I think it's, it's a meaningful difference is a difference in value to different sorts of learners or, you know, whatever your audience, presumably they're all learning something from you. So, um, yeah, so I, I could sort of pre, I was just sort of pre arguing the, well, that's just <laughs> regurgitating the same thing, you know, different ways. No, but here's what I want to say about that from uh, especially from a marketing and branding standpoint and certainly from a leverage standpoint is repetition is your friend. Mm-hmm. Repetition has so much value. In, and here's how I like to think about it. And it's all related to your point of view, which we've talked about in another episode, is you, you kind of want to get to the point where you can define your own language, where there are certain words that you use that mean something. So, for example, you'll hear me say client avatar a lot. Once in a while, I'll say client profile, but I keep saying client avatar. Did I invent the word? No. But if somebody is reading my stuff long enough, they know it's a code word, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing for everybody who has an area of expertise is you want to start to define your language because that pulls people to it makes you memorable. It helps to um, break down what you're teaching to people into steps and bits and bites that they can they can absorb. And then that gets to your point of all the different platforms and formats that you can then present that information. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I do. I have when students join my coaching program, the, one of the very first things I have them do is read through a glossary of code words. Like we have terms ah. that we use that have developed over time that are shorthand for for pretty big ideas, you know, a, a, a very specific concept, you know, answer bombing or the why conversation like product ladder. <laughs> These mean very specific things. And in, in the context of my coaching, even the words um, uh uh, value, price, and cost mean ev- they're highly defined terms in the context of my coaching program because those words are used interchangeably in general use. Mm-hmm. And that is leads to a crazy amount of confusion. So uh, I could not agree more with that. And then, and going, and you can take those. And as you start to see those, the community create those words as, you know, you describe something and maybe you use some catchy phrase to, to kind of sum it up and people are, start calling it that. 
then you're like, oh, I, this this could be a, a workbook or this could be a, a chapter of a book or maybe an entire book or this could be, um, uh, what did you say, some like a, a, not bonus content, but like additional material. Um, like a download. Yeah, supporting material for a book, you know, additional stuff that you maybe didn't go into in depth in the particular book, but, you know, you can go to my site and download all these additional materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild. So if you... Have you thought, have you come across other sort of, now let's go, actually, let's go this direction. When we've said already that certain types of expertise lend themselves to certain types of leverage, uh, have you, have you seen any patterns there? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I know what they are for software. I'm curious, I'm curious if in your sort of more diverse client base, you've seen, you know, maybe people who are, financial advisor types doing certain things or they've got regulations where they can only do certain things or maybe versus mm. people with a medical background or uh, somebody that's a little bit more life coachy like what are the what are the do you see any patterns there like how does somebody figure out what they might do like what might be their first piece of leverage if that's the right way to put it Right. Well, I have, to, I have to think about the pattern question a little bit. I mean, the financial advisors are sort of an easy category to, to pick on because they do have so many regulations. But typically, financial advisors either decide that they're going to be solo and then they use technology to help do that, or they decide they're going to build a business. And typically in financial advisory, like a lot of boutique consulting firms, you know, you've got to have, you know, a certain number of people bringing in revenue before you you're going to make more money than you would have as a soloist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you might have like an administrative support person or something like that, but you know, you're going to need five, six, seven people to be able to to make that money. And so their leverage is typically, I mean, they don't have a lot of leverage if they're not hiring people. Um, they're generally, uh, they'll sell books. Um, it's usually the book, because there's so many financial advisors, the books are usually not much of a revenue source, but they're about getting your name out and getting invited to events to speak where you can encounter potential clients. Um, and then I have seen, uh, you know, some coaching, which I don't really consider leverage. Um, so financial advisory consulting firms are a little different. I think it's um, when you think about a B two B, it's more challenging. It really depends on who your client is. If your client is Fortune five hundred companies, then it's going to be typically it's going to be around some sort of training exercise, right? That's that's the ultimate leverage because you take something that you've got and you teach them how to do it. Um, that's probably the classic. Uh, and of course, you know, I come back to books. I mean, books are, it's almost like we don't even need to discuss it in this context. We've just all stipulated, <laughs> so yes, yeah. books, good idea. First place you start. Um, but it's uh, in a, a B to C is a little bit different or, or there's this sort of this line, I think, of between B to B and B to C, which is where you're sort of like our audiences, right, where there's independent professionals. So it's B to B, but they're also their own consumers. Um, mm -hmm. That audience is one that's very open to membership sites and courses. And so if somebody is serving that kind of audience, then much more apt to uh, develop some kind of a, of a course in a membership site. I think the key, though, well, not the key, but let's a thing not to forget is to always look at your business model and make sure that you're not cannibalizing one part of your business for the other. Mm -hmm. Good point. Right. And so, you know, when we talk about all these things, you have to make sure that there's a market for it. 
And, uh, you know, in, in one case, I, I worked with a client who was thinking of doing a course and had never really looked at the, you know, how many potential buyers are there. And so we, we found a way to, to narrow that down. And, and in order to make money, she would have had to have something like um, 75% of the people in that space buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tough one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so she didn't do that. So I think it's really about, you know, who your clients or buyers are and mm-hmm. where are they to be found and what is it they prefer. But, you know, books are the starting point for, for everything or, or content, you know, some kind of book like product. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's going to boil down to either text, audio, video, mm-hmm. or, or, and and to a certain extent, you know, I do some group coaching, which I feel is a way to leverage one-on-one coaching, which is, but it's not, it's not huge. It's still, it doesn't feel like leverage because the price point's lower anyway. So you're like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like leverage. Although I suppose you could argue that it is. If you had a big enough volume. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or and, and it, then, but then it's going to take more time perhaps. Right. To, and then you're like, yeah. and then the move is, you know, you spawn many, many me's and they do coaching for you and you, well, here's the thing we haven't mentioned yet. You could license intellectual property. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I've never done this and I actually don't know anyone who's done it, but maybe you do I, where you come up with a, oh, I don't know, the Covey method or something right. and, and you teach it, you kind of have a train the trainer sort of um, uh, situation going on and they get certified and then they can go out and kind of, it's sort of a franchise model. Mm-hmm. Um, that that feels pretty rare to me, though. I don't. Have you ever seen anyone do that? Well, there's there's a few. I mean, I, I haven't worked with them, but uh, Brene Brown does it after oh. she achieved her her fame with her TED talk. She created something. Uh, William Aruda, who's a personal brand guy, um, has a, a a certification course. There's a woman. Her name escapes me, who does this for uh, coaches, but she certifies them on coaching coaches and how to run their businesses. So yeah, those are those are tricky. And I mean, you can make money that way, you've got to put it together a certain way. Um, But it's, um, I don't know, I don't think it's a starting point. I think you've got to have a really different, um, a really different approach. Um, and a way to make sure that nobody else is going to come in and and take that take that on because there's a big upfront investment to create that. Right. Yeah. Ellen Weiss says it too. To me, it's a, more like a victory lap. It's like, okay, I want to retire or I want to like decrease. I want to stop doing this. I'm sick of this thing, but I've got all these people who want it. You know, right. there's, demand is still there, but the supply is dwindling. So, you know, how do I? Uh, how do I serve the need that is here? Like I see this need and I believe that I can serve it, but I need to find another way to do it. So let me, you know, I've got, geez, I've got these 10 star students. Maybe I could just train them and, you know, make some partnership arrangements with the money. Oh, I just thought of another one. Duct tape marketing does that. Um, you know, he, he wrote the book and then he created this group of acolytes. They go through a certification process. So his audience are people who've gone through that and basically certifies quote unquote, you know, small business marketers. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I think that there is the potential to make money on something like that and create it as a business model if nobody else is doing it, but you really have to want that to be your audience. Mm. It feels it's, very different to me too, because I've seen this, I've seen this f- 
a little bit from the inside of a firm that was led by someone very, very, very famous in the space where everybody who came to the firm, even though there were, you know, at the time, maybe 50 employees, everybody wanted to work with the famous guy. Right. Nobody wanted to work with the, nobody, anybody else. So it was hard to, it was hard to justify a premium. And this was back in the hourly rate, my, my dark days of hourly billing <laughs> where it was the, the, the leader of the boat, the captain of the ship was super smart in that he would try to make his employees famous too, so that people would be, people would trust more than just him. It was, yeah. but, but so the thing, so it comes back to, it's just the whole thing feels like a very different, it doesn't feel like a good fit for the kind of, um, it kind of gets you back to that management thing where, you know, that I'm allergic to. So if, if we, the, this particular kind of, I think it's valid. Plenty of people do it. And I think there's actually, there's, I think there's potentially really big money in it. If you have a huge hit, you know, like you're Simon Sinek or somebody that, you know, Ted talk type of famous and you your, your personal brand is just super powerful basically. Yeah. The other thing though, just to, to, piggyback on your comment that it sort of feels like like leading people. I mean, it, it really is. And the other piece is uh, I have a client who did this and just left it after a few years. And uh, so he created this whole process, certified a bunch of these people across the globe. The idea was how did they get this intellectual property into multiple countries? And then kind of went and he went in a different direction and he just let it go. And so all of a sudden, these people have taken what was his content and they've created more and more things with it. And he's got no finger in that pie anymore. Hmm. And but his name is still attached to it. So it's one of those things where if you do it, it never dies unless you can, you know, you've got a very good lawyer who wrote you a great contract uh, that can protect you. So, yeah, it's, it, it feels messy and um, and more situation specific. But it's it is a kind of leverage, right? Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, so I think I mean, I feel like we've kind of covered it. You know, there's like there's writing a book, there's creating a sort of a DIY course of some kind, whether it's video or audio mm -hmm. or um, you know something on like a, a platform like Teachable or Udemy. But it's a it's a low touch, low. Um, low price point, relatively low price point. So you get books, right. probably the lowest price point. Then you can have a course, which is probably the next level up, but completely self-paced course. Uh, then probably up from there, you've got more interactive workshops or training or, or classes of some kind or a seminar, that sort of thing where right. there's like, uh, there's some interaction with, um, the, you, dear listener, with, you know, you you sort of spawn this community and there's a, a conversation going on. There's some sort of curriculum to it. There's a beginning, middle, end, and then people graduate from it, so to mm -hmm. speak. Mm -hmm. And I suppose there's all sorts of variations and, and all kinds of differences in the details in between. But those, those seem like the very much the obvious ones for people who are an authority or have a big idea and are sort of well known for it. I mean, it's it's like you just defined a product ladder. I mean, if you if you add to that the you know the the one to one consulting piece, it you know that's that's product ladder. Yeah, that's that's the non leverage part at the very top. Right, right. So I don't know. I'm, I, I you're exactly right. I mean, that is usually what I recommend to people. Uh, although there's there's so much variation in there, 
between like, let's say the person selling B2B versus B2C, the marketing price points are totally different. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. the mar- and sales, like the marketing sales and, and pricing are completely different if you're selling, depending on what you're selling and who you're selling to. So if you're selling to businesses and you're super cutting edge, super, it's super important. It's some kind of very sexy new technology, you know, blockchain, cloud computing migrations, something that, you know, like Docker, like these very things that seem very important right now, mm-hmm. then you can charge very, oh, uh, you can charge a lot of money by anybody's measure. If you're selling, uh, you know, essentially, a, a, let's call it a self-help con- concept, you're probably more likely, you know, to, to directly to consumers, you're probably more likely to have lots of smaller transactions than these, yeah. these like, um, you know, relatively infrequent home run type of sales and higher returns or potential returns. I mean, you've got, it's, it's a, just a different marketplace. Yeah. So, so even though, even though the three things that you sell might be this, you know, the three or four things on your product letter, they might be exactly the same as some, you know, in a B2C realm versus a B2C realm, te- like in name, the, the pricing and marketing and sales funnel and the, all of that stuff will be very different. So the kind of mm-hmm. devil's sort of in the details there, but Perhaps, dear listener, if you were thinking about it and you were like, okay, let's say I've got this, I've got these smarts that I'm currently either, you know, maybe I'm selling by the hour, maybe I'm selling by the engagement, but it's a very one-on-one custom thing for each client. It's, it's basically custom for each client and say, well, what, what are the patterns here? What repeats or, or uh, maybe if you focus on your ideal buyers within your entire portfolio of clients, you think, well, you know, I most like working with the mission driven org- organizations. So what have I done for them that's sort of repeatable and is maybe I could break into a process that I could, uh, that would cost me very little to produce on a, you know, basically zero incremental cost for, you know, after the first one. And, you know, you produce a thing and then after right. that, all copies are free, basically. So, okay. So is there something that I could kind of package out of this, pull out of this that they would be, that would still give them a benefit, uh, but would cost them a lot less, wouldn't cannibalize my top tier thing. And, you know, I can price in a way that's profitable to both parties. That's, I I think that's the, that's the exercise to go through. Even, Even before writing a book, unless you already know exactly what your book is, who your book is for and what it's about, uh, Suggesting to someone that they write a book always scares me because it's such a big undertaking. Well, it's what you just described is really strategically deciding um, how you're going to put together and structure and price your offerings. And everyone that has a business needs to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I I agree with you. It's I mean, we're saying a book is logical, but it doesn't mean that it, it makes sense for everybody at at a given point in time. Right. Uh, you have to, you, you know, sometimes you need to have the right audience to be able to write the book that you most want to write. And you need to build the audience first. And maybe you need to make money first instead of, you know, spending 18 months writing a book or nine months writing a book, depending on how quick they are. Mm-hmm. So it's that it's looking at that whole piece in total. So I think it's why, you know, you and I both always talk about business model. What's the business model behind this? And then what's the revenue model? How, how are you going to make money mm-hmm. at this? Because at the end of the day, um, you know, you want to serve 
as many of the right people, and when I say the right people, I mean your people, your tribe, your sweet spot, as you possibly can, while you're also leveraging your time and increasing your income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to fund the mission. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you got a trust fund, you got to <laughs> right. fund the mission. Exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. So that's probably a good place to leave it. I think you're right. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.